0: Welcome to this week's episode of Sooner Catholic Podcast. We are reviewing Father Jim's talk last night on Church Authority. Trevor, just give me one nugget that's on your mind, uh, not even to do with the talk, just what's one thing that you're, that you're wrestling with, praying with today?
1: I'd say one thing that uh, I've been praying about is just the baby. Uh, so I mean, it's now April 15th, um, and uh, our due date is in two days, so I'm just kind of waiting to see whatever the Lord has in store, but I guess I've been praying about that through that. Um, asking the Lord to, like, transform my heart to to desire to take on this new role with just such a, like, a purpose and a joy. Um, yeah, because I'm not going to know how I respond until I do. So I've been just praying and, like, asking for the graces to do that well. And I've been, like, reading and praying with guys different things this week that have to do with the idea of seeing everything as a part of God's divine providence. Um, and so I can't help but think that this is going to be another application of that. So I'm super, super stoked. And that's really been what's yeah. on my heart in prayer
0: love it i love it yeah that really rhymes with yeah like like the lord continually forms and molds our identity and then and then brings us more fully into it to live from it and i see that happening like at this major point in your life now with with fatherhood it's like there's there's a definitive change in your identity in becoming a father and then there's there's the slow work of, of god bringing you in to live from that which is cool and I think each one of us is experiencing that right as a, as a son or daughter as a disciple it's like there's a definitive change in our identity and our being and and the lord's bringing us to live more fully from that I love it i love it okay so father jim's talk last night um for everyone who was there or everyone who wasn't there was just so <laughs> it was just fire it was really really good um I feel like he was just being a good just a good dad He was just like sitting on stage talking about yeah what is what is the church what is church authority how do you explain it to believers and non-believers, so faithful Christians and, uh, you know, atheist agnostic or um, anyone in the secular world. So we're going to also divide it into those two parts, too, and to talk about how would you talk about church authority with other Christians and non-Christians. One of the first things being when you're talking about it with Christians, to really begin at Matthew 16 was a major point Father Jim was, was hitting on last night. And what stuck out to you, Trevor, from from him talking about Matthew 16 and its importance with church authority <clears throat> well one of the
1: things i told kenzie this afterwards but i actually didn't know um the kind of geographical and let's say like historical context that he was speaking of that on um, the rock like the, the place that he actually gave this call to, to simon peter um was at a place where there was a, an idol constructed right idols different idols constructed to different um pagan gods and goddesses one of them being pan and that there was a pool that was believed to be a pool that led to the underworld so when he says you are peter upon this rock I will build my church right he's, he's re- referring in the literal place where there's a rock that it that represents you know another god um <clears throat> and he says like the gates that the, the netherworld will never prevail well it's at the place that you know presumably pagans would have thought the or different pagans would, would have thought that the netherworld was so that really struck me i did not know that yeah. context um there's there's other things for sure but i'd say just in terms of sheer like wow i've never heard that before that was really cool
0: mm. Yeah, I, I love that too. That was a major takeaway for me was just, again, just like knowing knowing history and knowing geography of like knowing where is Jesus saying this and, and how how that impacts everything about it. Um, and so that that leads Jesus into giving him the new identity and the mission of being the, the rock of the church and then giving him the authority to bind and to unbind, which has to do with sin and also has to do with obligations. I thought that was a really interesting point he made Is is like, okay, if – if Jesus is giving the okay. the power to Peter and to the apostles to unbind the effects of sin, we see that in, in the sacrament of confession. And then we also see uh, he also, the apostles are also able to bind the the rest of the church, and that would be like the obligations that are asked of the church to, to attend Mass on a weekly basis. And, okay. um, I thought that was really, really good, really interesting. And then going into other things, he talks about, Okay, like, so if if there is a Protestant friend or family member who's talking about, okay, sola sola scriptura, like, I I only believe what I can see or what I can read in Scripture, right? And so that's the only authority that I turn to. I don't recognize any church or any kind of um, outside tradition or anything else outside of Scripture. And then he just brought us to the simple question of, like, okay, if you purely believe in Scripture, like, where did Scripture come from? Like, did Scripture produce itself? so like where's the authority that led us to even have scripture right which is something that we can we can forget like that just very simple nugget yeah um, in the first what 300 years of the church when when the canons being um just like when the the church is is compiling like the the different gospels and the epistles and yeah what was your take on that yeah yeah that one like
1: just every time you know it's a classic like if you go on catholic answers they're going to talk about this kind of thing (laughs) but but it is true right like i mean if you look at the, the scriptures themselves right uh rely upon the church authority right the church came together in a council and determined like what books were going to be considered sacred what books were going to be left outside and some of the ones left outside it's not like oh every single one was completely heretical there there were just ones that you know through the gift of the holy spirit working through the church that they did not conclude like that that these were inspired word of god you know containing no error and truth um but still contain, like, goodness in them. So there's uh, some of these other, like, books that we find. And there's a lot. Like, if you go back in history, there's a lot of these other things that were written that weren't included. Right? So it's, it's basically this idea of, like, the Bible doesn't have an inspired, word, uh, you know, table of contents is how the Catholic... answer, You know, like, it doesn't say, like, within the book, these are the books to be included in this book. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Right. the reason the books are there is because they were men guided by the Holy Spirit, men and women guided by the Holy Spirit... Right, who who were able to discern God's will and to like choose that, and that for the rest of time, us reading our Bibles literally today, were influenced by God at work in the church yeah. doing that. Um, yet, I think I think uh, something I was thinking about the papacy, and this gets into a really interesting um, topic of, of late interest. Um, but right, so one of the topics I think that this was most pertinent of in recent times was the topic of. Um, Oh, what's it called? Why can't I not remember what it's called right now? Contraception. So this, mm-hmm. this actually came, came kind of to a head recently. So following Vatican II, there was a, there was like a specific, like a uh, group of people who were commissioned to go like do like to study and to look and to see like, is the church's teaching on contraception like valid, right? So they had 12 people that were on this particular like group and they went out You know, they looked at different things and 10 of them came back and said, yeah, the church is wrong. Like we have to change our our stance on contraception. We have to allow contraception in in limited ways within the church. Um, Two of the people like dissented and were like, no, like the church has to remain true to this. So, I mean, if you're just going democratically, right, if you're just going by like that, then what should have happened is that the church should have changed its teaching against, you know, this and and turned to contraception. But uh, uh, Pope St. John Paul, or sorry, (laughs) John Paul. Uh, pope Paul VI, who was the pope at the time, is now a saint. Um, came out and said, like, wrote *Humanae Vitae*. And was like, no, like okay. the church is going to uphold our understanding of contraception. Perfect example of like, there was many individuals within yeah. the church, people who are commissioned, who like apparently had enough authority or were th- considered to be faithful enough disciples to like try to interpret this, right? But the pope comes out, and everyone like massive like scandal, like everyone's not scandal, but like massive like negative response. Okay. Everyone's like, what? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, so it's crazy to see that, like, the papacy, right, defended. It wasn't like this man is perfect. Like, right. Pope Paul VI was not a perfect man. But but God used him through the office of, of, of the Petrine office to, like, defend the church's teaching in a way that preserved, like, the original teachings of the church. Fun fact in there, one of the two that actually dissented, one of the, or sorry, one of the two that was like, no, the church can't change this teaching that was on that was actually John Paul II. It was Carol Atiba at the time, so kind of cool. cool. But anyway, so I think that's a really good real-world example within the past 50 years of how the papacy has, like, continued to, to allow the church to remain faithful to its teachings.
0: That's so good. That's really, really good. I think that it holds true of, like, you, you don't, you don't want to be part of a, a church that changes with the world, but one that changes the world, right? And so, even even when, when like modern, like the modern culture, and even the science at the time is like indicating, like, hey, there's like this this would be okay, right? Because they didn't have the the same um, insight into into life, um, and at, at the time, and so, be, but because it held strong, it like, yeah, it just held truth, and it was through the office, and I think that's something else that, that Father Jim was talking about, is like. There's a lot of disdain for for um, like the infallibility of the pope and and people thinking like, How could you think he's perfect? It's like, no, we, we actually don't believe that the Pope is perfect in his personality or even in in the moral life, like we talked about in the history of the church, the moral lives of, of of the popes have not been perfect by any means, or or the bishops or the priests, but we do believe that the Holy Spirit protects the office, which I think is really, really neat. And so even in that, yeah, in that example we see like the Holy Spirit protects and guides the office of the church to, to remain in truth, to remain in unity. And so why did Jesus establish that office? And, and father Jim talked about that, right? It's, it's for the purpose of unity. When we see that there's not that, that one central unity uh, or central office, we see like division in the church. Yes. Yep. And division is not from the Lord, mm-hmm. right? Like we know that, that unity is from the Lord, but division is from, is from the evil one. so we, we just, we see how even, even in, in, in the inclinations of good, um, in, in personal revelation, or personal feeling, or sentiment, or whatever it is, that there's been divisions in the church uh, because of, of different reasons. But we see, of course, like there's yeah, thirty three thousand churches now because of because of the disunity. Yes. Even even in the Orthodox Church, even the Methodist, even like in really good um, sections of the church, like where there is like good faithful people and good teaching, mm-hmm. because there is not that office that's guided by the Holy Spirit, there is still division, and yeah. disunity. Yeah.
1: One, one other thing too that I, I was like thinking about, um, <clears throat> I was actually talking about with this with someone earlier this week, but one of the things to consider, right, is to look at the scriptures to realize that it's compiled, right? The Old Testament written in Hebrew with different times, different places in different genres, different contexts. You have the New Testament written at different times, a little bit more uh, like less of a span of time that it's written in, right? But different genres, different places, there's different cultural meanings. There's different geographical things. Like even like I learned last night when it comes to this. And so, right. There's a huge and immense burden if we look at, like, the different options on the table right now. If you're like, I believe in Jesus and where do I go? Right. When you speak of this 33,000 different denominations, there's there's all kinds of places you can go. But the question is, like, if 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 biblical interpretation is left up to me of, like, the, the truths of the faith, mm-hmm. that's a huge burden, like, placed on the individual to try to figure out. Especially, I mean there are scholars who speak all of these languages and like know them well and know the context who's given their lives to it, who still disagree. Right. And so like for the average lay person to try to interpret the scripture like perfectly on their own, yeah. it's just a massive burden. Yeah. And thing, again, this is not an argument from like um, the evidence necessarily. I think there are some of those, but it's almost an argument from like understanding God's nature is like, would a loving father like want to, to leave his children in confusion and not leave them a sure and steady means by which to know like what is true right and the ways in which he desires to love us. Is that not like a higher vision of a loving father that he would leave a way to know how to know what is true in the Mm -hmm. scriptures, how besides me trying to like interpret it on my own. Um, again, this is not talking about like, you know, interpretation as it regards to like my own life, like personal, Right. right. But like doctrinal interpretation, that's, that's just, I think it seems to me that that's a massive burden to be placed in the individual, which is why the loving father established a church to guide us into all truth
0: yeah that's so true so true and and w- even just like with with uh the reformation or even like i feel like the lord has has brought good out of it like he he has like he, he's brought a, a deeper yes emphasis on personal relationship with christ which like can't be understated i think one of the things too is like okay um yes personal revelation has has led many astray from fullness of the truth and it, it's also it, it there's a good in and of itself of like okay like like the Lord doesn't just want you to be uh, a, it's a quote I heard recently. He doesn't want you just to be an echo, right? Just to speak what someone else has received, but he wants you to be a voice. Like he wants to speak directly to you and and give you a a testimony in abundance. Right. And, and when that's taken out of the context of, of the greater community of the church, then it can, it can lead you astray in thinking that, uh, that, that is a, a, a truth that's, um, that should be understood by the whole world. Right. Rather than directly into your life. Yeah. So, I, yeah, there there is a a, um, a revelation in the sanctity of the office and the protection that that gives to, to uphold in, in uh, like in difficult like moral situations and difficult spiritual uh, questions. But then that there is there is a fruit here of there is a a place and a time and an opportunity for a personal revelation and for the yes. Lord to speak into your life and to make those things come alive. uniquely in your life which is which
1: is good which and the last thing i'll say about this is i think that leads to good prayer with the scripture like when you have it's almost like when you're playing the game of basketball right like if you have if you know the rules you can there's the beauty of the game is able to be particular to you because there are parameters and under which like you know you can't go right like we always look at rules as these burdens right but rules actually enable beauty to take place so when it comes to my personal walk with the lord when i kind of like have the boundaries of like what the church teaches on like certain things within scripture. When I'm walking in those parameters, I can now pray with like Lectio Divina or something like that. And hear God speaking into my personal life, creating a new story in Mm -hmm. me because, because I know that it's not going to contradict. Like I have, I have the freedom to kind of like be, to be at rest in God's Mm -hmm. presence and allow him to speak to me. And again, I'm not saying, oh, God doesn't speak to. That's not that's not my take. I'm just saying that, like, this is the beauty of the church that it actually enables. I think most fully our ability to to let God make a story in us. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So, so true. true. I love it. Um, Okay, so moving into the portion here for the next just three or four minutes, where does authority lie in terms of non-believers, in terms of non-Christians? And I love this this portion. He says it kind of is um, kind of falls into three different areas for non-religious. People. The first is it's it's a person to person basis yep. based on experiences, based on feelings, based on sentiments. So it's up to the person to decide what is right and what is wrong. And that's kind of the highest authority when it comes to the moral life or spiritual life or whatever. It's, it's a personal truth. The next is authority lies in, in the state. So it's it's the government's responsibility to determine not what is immoral, but what is illegal. He talked about that. The difference in that is like, OK, if we can't uphold morals and we're going to uphold the law. And so it's up to the state to determine what is right, and the authority lies in the state and the governing body of the country or state or whatever that you live in. But he says that most people kind of function in this quasi-anarchist he described of of, of uh, essentially this constant clash between one person's morals and another person's morals because each person is equivalent in, a, in their authority. And, um, and I just think that it's beautiful, that the, exa- the examples he gave to this that kind of just portray each of these, the person-to-person or the state, is like... If, if person to person is true like each person is is their own highest authority then then the moral decisions and the spiritual decisions that um, that Adolf Hitler made and Mother Teresa made are equivalent right yes. and there's nothing yes. differentiating him. If all authority lies in the state, then everything that Adolf Hitler did would would be okay because that was his authority as, as the um, as a person in, in authority in, in Germany at that time. But the reality is that I think most people would fall into this kind of quasi-anarchist thing of of it's our own personal feeling that determines our our morality. Um, and what's kind of been your experience with that, Trevor, of of people saying, "Well, you know, it's kind of somewhere in between. Like there, you know, there are some elements of of, of truth, but we can't really know them." But but you just got kind of to follow your, you know, your own beliefs, your own upbringing, and that kind of thing. What, what's been kind of your experience with with that?
1: Yeah, it just I've just seen it lead to a lot of confusion in people's lives about like how they ought to live, um, right? Because it's kind of what we were just speaking of before. If I, if I've gotten rid of the rules of basketball, well, there's going to be so many discrepancies that come up as we play because there will be there's so much like arguments about, well, you did this and you did that. You know, it's kind of like if you've ever played a pickup game where people are really heated and they don't have a ref and sometimes they just get like, you know, um, and it's like, anyway, I guess in short, I've just seen where it creates a lot of confusion in people's lives of what they're looking for, what they're living for, all these different things. Um, and I think like a good place to start in conversation with someone who maybe, you know, doesn't hold that there, that there is a, you know, a God who kind of ordains the things that are, are good and are evil, these sorts of things. Um, a good place to start is just, like you said, you kind of talked about it, but like trying to find places where they're inconsistent with that, where they're like, well, yeah, this is actually, I would, I would agree that this is wrong and being like, well, why? What's the basis? Right. Um, and again, it's not right. like you're trying to attack. You're, you're trying to like have a conversation where, where you can just like have people understand what, it, what do I actually believe? Cause some people will be yeah. willing to go to the place, not many, but some will, if you push them, they'll be like, you're right. Yeah. Hitler's choices were not wrong. Like there's no such thing as wrong, right or wrong. He was just, you know, You know, like you'll get to a point where people will be like, yeah, he wasn't wrong. Like someone should, we could have, I would say, in my opinion, we should have stopped him. And most people's opinions might be the same, but there is no right or wrong. And that's where you're at a completely different place. But again, it's, it's not about like necessarily trying to go in and argue. One thing that's really important is like, don't argue at the level of like the conclusions. Argue at the level of the premise? So like, Mm, what are, what are your pre, what are your, your deepest like beliefs about the world and like who we are? Because if we, if we can talk about those things and we, I can understand why you might believe that abortion should be legal. I can understand why you might, you know, believe that this or that, because, because it flows from your first premises of like who we are and like what we're made for. Um, so I think when you're talking about authority and like why we should believe in morality at all, like these sorts of things, it's, it, it needs to go to the level of first premises and you have yeah. to know who you're speaking with mm-hmm. because like, yeah, yeah like father was kind of talking about you'll find people in different camps and you kind of kind of figure out where someone's at to begin to figure so, out like right. how to how to speak with them
0: so i love that i love that because with with non believers you can't even start with church authority you tr- you would start with with god as having authority right and and determining what is good and what is evil like you said i love that i love that talk talk about the premise and not about the the conclusion or about the issue itself and so in in a question of like okay do you, like most people most people would agree or feel it is wrong to do harm to someone else yeah and then they might you know say like well in, unless the person has done harm first or whatever might go into an eye for an eye mentality but most would say well it, it's wrong if you begin to hurt someone else right yes and say so, okay well what what makes that wrong well because a person is innocent or they're good or okay well what it's makes like what makes yeah. a person good well every person's just good because they're a person okay well, when does that begin well, like, I guess, or, and when does that end? Like, is it is a person's goodness affected by a mental health disorder? Is a person's goodness effect, affected by addiction or by, um, like, legal uh, legal problems and, and felonies? Okay, well, if they serve their time, is it restored? Like, is it forever tainted? How, how far is, does a person need to commit a sin until it's tainted? Or how virtuous does a person need to be until it's regained? Like, and who decides that? Is there any actual like truth here? Is is there a natural law written in our heart that would say that every person is good and has innate dignity? Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think it's yeah, it's good just to start that conversation there with what determines good, what determines evil, and is is this just a societal thing? Is it a cultural thing? Is it a person unique thing because you came up in the Sanchez household, or the Brecker household? No, there there might be something with it, written within our hearts by God that helps us to see what is good and what is evil, right? And that, that goodness is definitive and evil is definitive. And yeah, good. I love that idea of the premise. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I
1: have a book recommendation. If you're really interested in these topics, especially kind of the second half of this, the ones we talked to in about like how to talk about like right and wrong in the world. There's a really good book that kind of dives into this that I read over my Christmas break called 10 Books That Screwed Up the World by Dr. Benjamin Weicker. Um, it's basically, he's a Catholic like professor. I don't remember where he teaches, but it's not even necessarily a catholic book he just talks about like different theories of like who we are and like where morality comes from all these different things from different authors super interesting because all of them in some way are addressing this question of like morality in different ways um again very uh let's say intentional book of him to like condemn a lot of these thinkers so <laughs> so take that with a grain of salt but it, but it, i mean I think a lot of them are worthy of being condemned. Um, One of them is Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler. So it's a really, it's just a very, if you're interested in this topic, I would highly recommend 10 books that screwed up the world, Dr. Benjamin Weicker. But otherwise know that all these conversations hopefully will lead back to to a greater encounter with the person, greater encounter with God. So
0: So yeah, don't forget the whole point of a crucial conversation. The whole point of apologetics is not just defending, but explaining to help understand leading to reconciliation, leading to deepening relationship with that, with the person directly, with the person with God, that, that is actually the hope. Okay. All right. Have a wonderful week you guys. And thank you for listening.
1: One nugget on my mind right now is it's 1120 is a chicken nugget. I really would like some food. Um, okay. Welcome to today's podcast. This is your host, uh, Trevor. Thank you guys for listening to the Sooner Catholic Podcast. This past Friday, April 16th, the Sooner Catholic Podcast turned one year old, so we thank you for your support over the past year.